Welcome to the Mile 99 interview with your host, Jessica Harris, Mike Turner, and Greg Larkin. Enjoy this episode. We'll see you on the trails. See you out there. See you there. Hey, everybody. This is Greg Larkin, one of the co-hosts of the Mile 99 interview. We're going to get to tonight's episode real soon, but I just wanted to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, and that is Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker has a number of different products to help you optimize your performance as you age. And to Inside Tracker, you know, age is just a number. Uh, your health, though, is a science. People age at different speeds, some faster, some slower. That means the date that marks their birthday may not represent their body's actual biological age. And that's why Inside Tracker developed InnerAge 2.0. This is a proprietary AI-driven platform that reveals how your body is aging and provides a personalized science-backed action plan to help you get younger from the inside out. Inside Tracker believes that your best self is not behind you, it's within you. And by looking at the science of your health and longevity, you can discover the personalized path to living healthier and longer. So if you want to continue doing the ex exercises and activities that you love with the people that you love for the rest of your life, it's time to turn back the clock with InnerAge 2.0. For a limited time, Mile 99 listeners can take 20% off the entire Inside Tracker order, including InnerAge 2.0. Just visit InsideTracker.com slash Mile99 and use code Mile99, that's M-I-L-E, nine nine at checkout i personally have gotten my blood tested uh, over the past few weeks and have received my results i have a personalized action plan i have a few things i need to address in the diet area and also in my exercises and, and workouts i'm working on that and i'm excited to uh, take my next blood test in about three months and see what the progress has been very exciting uh, it's very much data driven and easy to motivate to get it done so take a look at insidetracker.com slash mile nine and use our code to get 20% off. Thank you so much, and we'll see you on the trails. And we are live. All right, exciting. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Uh, welcome again to the Mile 99 interview, live edition. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Turner. I, uh, the Mile 99 is a place to hang out with our like-minded friends and our folks in our community, share our stories, you know, our failures, successes, and our, all of our deepest trail secrets. Also, place to get the, the latest local race news and what's going on. Find out what's what's coming down the road for us. We are recording live. Uh, we're on Facebook as well as Zoom, so people can jump on either one and uh, and check us out there as well. I'm joined by my two favorite co-hosts, Greg Larkin and Jessica Harris. How's it going, Greg? Doing pretty good. Yeah, got all the stuff set up here. Hopefully, it's working. Hopefully, everybody uh, can hear us out there in Zoom land. So it's great to be back here at the aid station. Really appreciate having them host us here and uh, really excited for tonight's show. How are you doing, Jess? I'm so, so excited to be here tonight. Um, after we saw some of our friends have some devastation up in the Forest Health area, it's nice to come together. We saw some of our friends at home or get to go back to their house, but we did see a lot of struggle and devastation. So tonight um, we are donating $250 from the Mile 99 along with donations, cash, Venmo, or we can have, um, we'll post the SPCA, the Placer SPCA fundraiser link um, because they took in a lot of our evacuees pets during the evacuation. Um, so they're a little tanked. I know that they do need some unopened cat food and some finch food. So someone must have had a finch that needed some assistance and unopened dog food. So we are here um, during the entire live. We'll be taking donations on Venmo and our live audience. If you want to give us some cash, we have a jar for you as well. All of that we will be posting um, tomorrow what we are donating to the Placer SPCA. We're already up to $680. So thank you guys already. Yeah, and uh, we also want to just really thank all of our supporters. Uh, we have a lot of Patreon patrons that support us. We have a lot of people who have donated some money to us, uh, Venmo, and, and lots of supporters out there. 
Uh, we want to thank our newest Patreon member who just joined today. Jess, we appreciate you if you're out there listening. We really appreciate that support. So you can find us on Venmo, on Patreon. Uh, we do like little uh, extra episodes for the Patreon members and other little special things. Uh, so we really appreciate all that. Thank you all so much. And thank you all for the incredible donations to the Placer SPCA. It makes a huge difference and it's really a near and dear cause to us. So we also have some community news before we get started here. We've got our friends over at Total Body Fitness. Uh, they're going to be doing a mountain bike and running race uh, this weekend, uh, the Mountain Bike Growler and Gold Rush 5K and 10K, uh, September 24th, coming right up. Yuba Gold 50K by our friend Ben Mitchell and Martin Sengo, the volunteer coordinator. Um, definitely check that out. It's a little close to my 100 miler. I really want to do it, but I'm just not quite sure. So, but for sure, I want to do that course at some point. I'm not super familiar with those courses up by the Yuba River or the trails up there. So I want to check. And uh, Euchre Bar Massacre, you know, we want to hear maybe a little bit what's going on there. We'll talk about the trail and all that good stuff. Um, that's coming up in October. Uh, hopefully we'll get some updates there soon. Uh, Great American Obstacle Race coming up. Auburn Rec District, October 2nd. Uh, I'm sure you can find them on the, uh, their Facebook page and check out that race. And then RDL, November 5th, so the classic, uh, the, the season closer here. Uh, that's coming right up, and uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll have a lot of good information coming out about that. So, I think with that, are we good? Yes. We're good. A lot of so, news, lots of good news. There's always a lot going on. You, you always think that the spring is our busy season, but it's just busy year-round. <laughs> it is. Mm -hmm. We're in a good place. Yeah. 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 So tonight we are super excited to be back in person at the Aid Station at Trails and Nails in Auburn, California for a live chat with uh, our local legends, the Rusty Nails, here. <laughs> Craig Thornley, Joe Steinmetz, and Matt Keyes. We're going to be talking about their recent uh, epic adventure at the UTMB PTL, and I'm going to try to pronounce it. I probably got it wrong. Petit Trate Leon. Joe, Joe's our translator. Okay, Joe's the translator. That was, that was perfect. And no, Matt's the translator? Not <laughs> So, what, well, we'll get into it. So, the, the PTL is described on the website as an ultra-endurance pedestrian event, which is interesting that we use a pedestrian event, uh, that leads participants on a large tour of Mont Blanc, which is 186 miles around 300 kilometers with uh, 82,000 feet of ascent. Uh, taking the high routes without known markers on the ground. Uh, so you have to have a sense of orientation on and off the trail. Uh, it says each year the route is different. So for, for all to discover the richness and diversity of the paths in France, Italy, Switz, and Switzerland within the, the Mont Blanc Massif. Uh, the PTL is realized by teams of two or three. In this case, it was three to support each other and then move through the the, exp the whole technical experience with the mentally and physically demanding mountain environment sounds pretty intense. So with that, we want to jump right in. So before we get into it, we'll say hello to Craig. How are you doing, Craig? I'm doing all right. I think considering that the mosquito fire is still burning and you know, a lot of the a lot of the Western States Trail is inside the burn perimeter. Um, you know, that's been kind of on our mind for every moment of the day for the last uh, two and a half weeks now. Uh, fortunately, everybody that was evacuated is now back home. That's a really good sign. Yeah. And the fire is now 60% contained. We will have a meeting with the Forest Service on Monday uh, to get a, an assessment of the damage to the bridges and the trail, and we will have more information for you. Hopefully, okay. hopefully Monday we'll share. But considering uh, that that is now on turning to our favor now. Um, I'm excited to be here and, and talk about what we did before the fire started. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a, I imagine next spring, you know, we'll, we'll need a lot of help, folks to volunteer and to be a lot of maintenance and a lot of work we can notice. We'll stay tuned to you and the websites and watch because I'm sure we'll have a lot, you'll have a lot of need for extra arms. Yeah, it'll probably be sooner than the spring. Uh, hopefully, we'll be in the black in, in November, is our, is our hope. Um, a lot of the trail is accessible year-round that, that's in the burn perimeter. So we won't be waiting to the spring. We'll be, as soon okay. as we get a plan with the Forest Service, uh, between the canyons, western states, and Tevis, we'll have uh, event days where people can, can uh, get dirty, put some waddles in, maybe do some rock work. All right. Um, I love rock work. 
You did? <laughs> Have you done it with Matt Brown? No, but I, I like rocks. Okay. <laughs> Who's done Matt? Like Who's done trail rock work with Matt Brownlee here? <laughs> we get to meet him. Or yeah. Our audience yeah. gets to meet him in a couple weeks. Yeah, so. yeah he's an incredible uh, dry stone masonry. masonry. And we got Joe. Mason. We got Joe here as well. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing good. Yeah. Recovered? I am recovered. Yeah. I'm starting to run again. Nice. Which was not a big part of our PTL. Um, we'll talk more about that. But yeah, doing good. Awesome. Good. And Matt, thank you for coming. How are you doing? Dandy. Dandy. Uh, so we like it. Short and simple. So what we'd like to do here in the show before we jump into the meat of the PTL is we want to kind of get to know our guests, you know, and we, we all, we've talked to Craig in the past. We all love Craig and we, we know his story. Uh, we can go back to the previous episodes and listen again to Craig. But we don't know about Joe. So we want to kind of find out more about what Joe's story is and how he became this mountaineer radio guy that he is today. So Joe, what's your story? Where where'd you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Mount Shasta, California, hmm. um, which I frequent there a lot now um, for training and, and scenery. Um, and obviously uh, it, that led to a lot of uh, mountaineering experience and and I did a lot of mountaineering in uh, the 1990s and expeditions uh, around the world and kind of put that on pause and switched to uh, uh, bike riding, so kind of long distance endurance riding. And then I kind of put that on pause and decided maybe uh, running would be a little bit less overhead, you know, no bike and things to break down except for the body. And then did started doing that in the uh, early 2000s. And I've been uh, running since then. And um, slowly trying to become a better runner and uh, wasn't doing much uh, uh, hiking and, until PTL and so that required a, a little bit different kind of training which I'm sure we'll get into but um, basically um, that's it um, mountain climbing and uh, bike riding and, and running over the last uh, 30 years wow that's a lot uh, yeah, I, I can see that mountaineering because you, you guys do some pretty cool stuff in the North Fork Canyon and you know, and that kind of stuff, some of those down climbs are, you don't just go out there with very little experience to do some of those North Fork adventures, you know, so I can see that, you know, your experience. So was your family active? How did you, I mean, you were in Mount Shasta, were, you, were your folks active, your siblings? No, not really. Um, I think I grew up in Mount Shasta. I didn't actually climb Mount Shasta until I left Mount Shasta and came back after college and, and uh, that kind of kicked off the... Uh, climbing uh, part of my my life but uh, no I would say I was probably the most active in my uh, my family and uh, that you know was just me getting out and doing stuff yeah that's yeah, a nice area up there too a nice place to grow up in the, in the mountains up, up in Mount Shasta indeed it is yeah nowadays we get a lot of fires uh, up there in Oregon and so I think every year I go up there I'm fighting smoke and fires and forest closures and it's just you know part of what's happening out there and yeah. it's uh, trying to manage through it yes, here and there the new reality of the the west yes definitely so you're running uh we did check out your old china but yeah, you've, you've done a lot of local great races around here and you even the last what 20 years you know you've been running and mm -hmm. i mean tons of races you know uh trt several times you've done era 50 i mean tons yeah. of times over and over and over uh way to cool all the local, you know, uh, Rocket Chuck and Overlook and Broken Arrow. Uh, what are some of your the ones that stand out that you maybe your, your favorite over the years? Um, so, I mean, so last year I ran Western States, and that that's got to be the most memorable experience that I've ever had. Um, you know, people say it's life changing, and I think it is. It it, it certainly was for me. Um, but leading up to that, um, I think, you know, TRT were, you know, some of my favorites because I like being in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So I like, you know, the great views coming over a mountain pass and, you know, TRT certainly has that. I think that it was fun. I did a 50 miler in Mount Shasta mm -hmm. and it was really fun going back to my hometown and doing a race there that was on the mountain. And so that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, PTL, not really a running race, um, you know. I don't think any of us will ever forget that. Um, that's uh, just an incredible experience. I think everything else was pretty much just stepping stones to you know where I was going or trying to do with my running. So you you did a lot of 
mountaineering when you were younger, even around the world. Mm -hmm. Was PTL your first running experience? Um, traveling, like a traveling running experience? Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, because in my experiences in doing climbing, it was, you know, a particular mountain or a particular route. And mm -hmm. it was, you know, literally the top summit was the goal, not the journey around the mountain like PTL was. Yeah, it sounds uh, and difficult to hear. I watched some YouTube videos uh, this week about PTL, and we'll have a lot of photos and videos tonight that you guys took, and I mean the shots are just amazing. So let's jump into talking to Matt because I don't think I don't know much about Matt at all. We'd like to know kind of just kind of where you grew up, Matt. What's your what's your background? Now you're also a mountaineer, and all you guys are mountaineers. So what's your story? Where'd you grow up? Uh, born in Southern California, and then went to high school here in Auburn. Okay. Met uh, my my wife of 30 years at Placer High School. Congrats. And, uh, and then uh, we moved away, well, we moved away a couple times, but we moved back and bought a house here in downtown Auburn in 2001. Okay. And we've been here since with three kids, one of whom's sitting here having her 19th birthday in the room. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs> Didn't take me long, did it? <laughs> Maybe we'll have to have her come up later. <laughs> She's a performer. She'd love to. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So you've been, you've been here been here a long time, and uh, and have you have you always been into when you moved here? Were you into running then, or were you, was it kind of a later thing in your life? Uh, when we moved back here, I did start running. Uh, yeah. We, well, we'd we'd run. Uh, Kim, my wife Kim, and I had run a bit uh, in Southern California. We were down there for a couple of years, uh, and I had, most of my running there was pushing a stroller with a couple of kids in it. And that's a little bit harder to do on the trails here, but I've done some of it. Uh, and uh, yeah, so moved back to Auburn in 2001 and and bought a pair of running shoes and started running. And I uh, ran a marathon, a road marathon down down in Huntington Beach, and uh -huh. but did all my training for it on the trails. And that was the last road race I did. So you were fast. You were like, wow, on race day, you were probably thinking you were no. super fast. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for making Craig laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were growing up, was your family active? Or, or was it just you? Do you have siblings that were active? Uh, yeah, pretty active. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, one of, I'm one of seven kids. Like school sports active or like more yeah. like out, outdoor kind of backpacking stuff? Uh, both. Yeah. Both, yeah. Did, did some backpacking as a young kid and explored outside. And then in high school, I was high school, I would go up to Desolation Wilderness and just mm. go explore and as a, as a teenager, as soon as I could drive, maybe even before. And then uh, didn't, didn't run much at that point. I was playing, either playing soccer or outside doing something. Yeah. And then, uh, and then started rock climbing. Uh, so Joe, Joe's the, probably the mountaineer of the group. Um, done more rock climbing. Some mountaineering, climb Mount Shasta, climb Mount Whitney, that kind of thing. But, uh, but did a lot of rock climbing for a long time. And then when my kids were young, I thought, oh, well, Rock climbing takes a whole day to go drive somewhere and then climb and then drive back. And, and running doesn't approach a full day. Yeah, I can go out for an hour. Well, yeah. then you start running ultras and you're gone all day again. <laughs> so, yeah. Did I, did I mention my wife's been married to me for 30 years? Yeah, that's that seems like the yeah. biggest feat. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> biggest yeah. ultra. Biggest yeah. ultra, the ultra married to Matt. Everyone, everyone who knows me is chiming in on that one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, you have, you've done a tons of races. I mean, obviously, the biggest accomplishment, I mean, all those years of Western States, I mean, that's pretty incredible. Uh, ten years of Western States is pretty awesome. Which one do you wear? Uh, wearing that one. Are you wearing your first buckle? or are you wearing No, he's wearing my last buckle. He's last wearing buckle. the tin that no one else up here has. Uh -huh, <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So, what, of all those Western States, does one stand out more memorable than the rest, other than the number ten, maybe? The tenth, the tenth was definitely memorable. Yeah, um, there there were a couple in there that were memorable. Uh, the the cold year two thousand twelve was phenomenal and fast, not comfortable but fast. Yeah, and then the very next year twenty thirteen, I think it was you know one hundred one hundred two degrees something like that. And that was memorable as well. But, but uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, I've always enjoyed the training, um, and now I'm enjoying uh, being out on the trails. Doing trail work with, yeah, with I did, you, Mike. I, I did some trail work earlier yeah. this year uh, before before states, and yeah. uh, uh, I met some great people. One guy I met, I met from Minnesota, Todd Rowe, came out and yep. 
And uh, I met with him actually when I was in Minnesota last week, and we met up with him at the race. He's just one of those guys that just hardcore guys volunteering. So it was great. It was a great. Uh, it's great to get out and do some work and experience the course. I learned a lot about trimming for horses. That's what I learned about. And so I didn't realize you guys got trimmed ten feet high and three feet wide. It's a lot. A lot going on. Out there. Brushing. 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 See this. There's even terms. Yeah, terms are right. limit. So, and uh, other races you, you've done, I was checking out uh, the Diablo 50 miler. Those are pretty brutal. Mount, uh, Mount Diablo. Those don't exist anymore, but that was a, yeah, that was pre GPS watch for probably any of us that ran those before it stopped going. But I think it was, I think it was estimated at around 14,000 feet of climbing in a 50 miler. Oh, man. And winning times are often in the 10, 10 11 hour range. For what time of year was that? In the spring? Say it was uh, late May, late April or early May. Yeah, it's late April, early May. Kind yeah, because yeah. it gets hot out there pretty quick. Oh, it was hot. It was definitely hot. Yeah. But it was a great, it was a great trainer going into Western states. Oh yeah, yeah. I get, that's the thing you hear a lot from a lot of the, the people that run the Western states is Diablo is a good place to run for long, long hot climbs. Yep. Get some experience with that, you know. So. It is great stuff. So on your Western States, you're, volu- you're volunteering. How long have you been involved with, with show work up there? Uh, well, I, I stopped. I ran my 10th Western States in 2016. And I was doing some some work during that time when I was running. But it was pretty hard for me, as it is probably for a lot of people, to pay the mortgage, uh, train, and do volunteer stuff. And so now that I'm not running many events, I'm definitely putting in more time uh, so so since I would say since late 2016 or early 2017 I've been more involved got my Joe helped me get my ham radio license uh, Craig uh, uh, made me a fairly proficient Sawyer and uh, and I'm trying to trying to give back a little bit a sport yeah. that's given a lot to me yeah definitely this uh, it's fun to get out there and, I, and I'm sure there'll be a lot like we talked about earlier be a lot of a lot of opportunity for people to get out there this year and in the spring as well so uh, so we're going to get into PTL shortly here but I really I quickly want before we get that I wanted to quickly have a spot from one of our sponsors because without our sponsors we wouldn't uh, be able to pay the internet bill so basically this show is sponsored by Injinji which is the original performance TOSOC if you know me you know I, I love my Injinjis and I've used them in all my races this year most recently at the Superior Fall 100 Minnesota where I I was out there two weeks ago. On the West Coast, we have really dry, hot, gritty conditions. But out there, I had to change my strategy because it, it was a it was forecasted for a downpour, and I'm not used to running in in rain, like constant rain. So I knew I had to think about my feet differently. So I went at it uh, listening to one of our, our guests, Dr. Tanya Olson, talking about how foot care. I went in with more of a, a lube instead of a tape, but I still have my socks. So. I swapped them out every 25 miles and everything went great and my feet stayed anti-pruny and they stayed dry enough and I'd, it really worked out pretty well. And I think is having enough socks and enough dry socks and, you know, with the, the Coolmax Ecomade moisture-wicking fibers they have and the, the toe design, it just really made it possible for me to get to the finish line. So whether you're running or hiking, hitting the gym, everyday use, your feet take a beating and they deserve to be pampered. So treat your feet to the comfort of Njinji Toe Socks. Go to their website, uh, njinji.com backslash mile99 to get your 15% off discount code there. And thank you for sponsoring the episode. And real quick, uh, we are having more people jump on social media and seeing us streaming live. We are taking donations that we're going to be donating to the Placer SPCA. Thank you, Ken, for your live donation. Awesome. Yeah, we, Jessica put that on a couple of days ago community is so giving I, I i we had a goal that we were going to match up to 250 dollars and give 500 dollars to the spca and yeah we got there really quickly so thank you guys so much keep them coming those dogs and kitties need some help so we're going to jump into ptl now you want to try to say it petite I'm not the one to. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, Matt really Matt, the translator. Somebody, somebody must have tried it. Someone's better at it. We call it PTL. 
PTL, okay. PTL. We'll call it PTL. So, <laughs> so PTL, and again, I, I watched some, I watched some YouTube videos, and and Joe will have some. Uh, maybe you can, uh, just, maybe you can just put on, put on kind of some photos. Can you just flip through somehow, maybe as we're talking? Uh, sure. So, you know, let's get into early. We talked about the course, eighty-two thousand feet of gain, uh, one hundred eighty-six miles around, and you're kind of going. Is it? You know, I guess, well, I, I have a lot of questions. We'll try to organize it. First of all, whose idea was this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll take credit for that one. <laughs> okay. So, so how did how did it come about? Well, I had run CCC, which is the 100K. And you helped me there, Bob, with my, my little laceration, my tendon problem. And that was, what, there were 1,800 people or so that year. I think there's more this year. And then I ran UTMB the following year, and there's 2,500 people. And I wanted something a little more, um, um, you know, remote and less crowded, and PTL was it. Uh, they allow 300 people total mm-hmm. out of the teams of two or three. So we were originally going to do it in 2020 with my brother, who was turning 50, and COVID, you know, canceled that. So we had the opportunity of running, running. We had the opportunity of doing it in 2021, but travel was still weird. So we decided to do it in 2022 and asked my brother uh, if he wanted to do it. And he said, no, I turned 52 years ago. I'm not interested in doing it now. (laughs) Okay. So we were looking around the table, <laughs> and uh, Matt uh, Matt rose to the top of the list. And, and, <laughs> Lucky and, Matt, yeah. And, and well, I don't know. Tell tell your part of this, Matt. What, what did you think? Boss. Yeah. So he said, "Yeah, that sounds kind of hard, and I like to sleep, and I like to have my coffee, and I well." And, France and Italy, they they love to have their cappuccinos. So uh, he decided to do it with us. Yeah. So and that's then, how it happened. Then we. And then, then we, uh, so you, he just called you one day. Hey, I got this idea, and you're like, yeah. okay. Was it during a hunt? It was during a hunt. Yeah. It was a Tuesday, it was, night. It was a Tuesday, it was a Tuesday night. night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And these two guys were talking about who might take Chris's spot. Mm-hmm. And Joe keeps Joe's right ahead of me. He keeps looking over my shoulder, <laughs> looking over his shoulder, looking at me like. He's not going to ask you. Yeah. I mean, Matt and I are climbing partners, so we rock climb together all the time. And Today. when we're not climbing, we're running together. So we do a lot of stuff together. We knew we know we're compatible. We didn't know how the three of us would. I do a lot of stuff with Joe, too, in the, especially in the North Fork. But we didn't know how all the three how the three of us would play together, and it ended up working out amazingly well. Um, so these guys, BFFs got to meet. Well, yeah, these guys would end up talking about nerd stuff, networking <laughs> stuff. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I'm tuning out. So I, I think it worked out. Am I right? Yeah. So I think the uh, – you agree? <laughs> I do, but I have a little quick little okay. story. Go ahead. Uh-huh. So it wasn't the hunt, but I was running on the canal uh, with one of my friends. Oh, and, oh, yes. And I'm running along, and here comes Matt. And I had just told my friend, uh, Bruce uh, Falzerano, that you know, we had talked to Matt about doing PTL, and so we run into Matt, and Bruce says, "Oh, I heard you're doing PTL," and Kim was with him, and apparently he hadn't yet talked to Kim, <laughs> and so it was a really awkward moment. But I feel like that just cinched the deal right there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, do you all, you, if I remember correctly, you have to then submit a resume to the organization. Is that right? Yeah. And what did that consist of? And were there, you know, how, how rigorous are they looking at all of you as a team and you know, all of that? Uh, yeah, it's resume based. It's not points or stones, none, none of that. It's, it's your experience um, in the mountain environment and navigating off trail and taking care of yourself. Um, and they're, they're pretty uh, stringent on that. Um, but we had already been selected, so it really, I mean, Matt, it really didn't matter what Matt did. He was along for the ride with us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, right? Right? Uh, we, had to, we had to beef up your, your resume. <laughs> <laughs> we were pretty grateful. We didn't, we didn't put one 
it's like, well, you've done this, you've done that. You have a lot of outdoor experience, oh which I think was more important than have you climbed Kilimanjaro or something. Right? Yeah, he's done a lot of stuff out, out, outdoors. Yeah. So we had to boost that up. We did. We had to get you to ride more. So you're no, saying you lied. Lie. You lied. No, I'm just kidding. No, we didn't have to lie. No, no, no. We didn't have to lie. He's got, he's got a lot of experience. So, um, yeah, that's and, – and I think it's um, it's a good way to get quality people in the field. It, it's not how far have you run or how many hundred miles you run or do you have that thousand-mile buckle that he's sporting right now that he's afraid to show. <laughs> show your damn buckle. Would you just stand up and show me your buckle? You don't have one of these? No, I don't have one of these. <laughs> Show them. Oh, my God. Woo! Those are really hard to get. Nice. So he's done some stuff. Yeah, he's done some stuff. Yeah. But, but PTL, I, I think this is really key, and I think we all knew this going in, but running ultras, 100 milers, 200 milers, not that I've run one, I don't think any of that stuff it gets you ready for Mm. And I think we knew that going in, but it's it's another level. It's 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 not it's not a running event. It's not a running event, and our training for it wasn't running, but it's uh, it's pretty. Uh, so awesome. yeah, yeah. You're, I mean, mountaineering is coming in, right? Like your I saw. Well, I mean, I saw some of the clips that looked like okay, they're on some pretty I think narrow. It's being in the mountains, being in the mountains. isolated. Okay, that, that's the key. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and being self-sufficient. Yeah, and, and that that part that was still in Thunder, but I think the self-sufficient part I think we underestimated. Oh, talk about that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How many days and was there eight stations? Did you have drop bags? Maybe some of the details about how how the, how the logistics worked. <laughs> well, I'll start. I I think the my expectations didn't meet reality, and I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it on. The fact that I didn't spend a whole lot of time studying it. I had other stuff going on after Western States. Uh, and I wished I had reached out and followed up on a couple other people that had done PTO before. We had we had a few. He got rejected by one. Yeah, I, yeah. Can't tell that, tell that little Yeah, there's story. not not a whole lot of uh, people, uh, Americans that have, run, have done PTO. And so I reached out to some friends that knew some, you know, European folks that had that experience and had asked to, you know, have a, a little chat and, and, um, was turned down and that I get asked too many times about, uh, PTL and that, you know, enough Americans have run PTL, you should seek them out. And they listed some names and stuff. And, and I can understand that, but it was just a, you know, it was a quick shutdown and looking for a little, you know, beta on, uh, what to expect over there. Mm. So, yeah. And we, we had, we had some. I had some contacts that had run it before, and we met one after Western States. He ran Western States. He's a race director for Trans Grand Canaria, and he gave us a little bit of insight on, on the sleep, uh, the sleep strategy. He said their sleep strategy going into the race was we're going to go a long way each day and then sleep for five or six hours each night, and that did not work out very well. Uh, so he told us another strategy. Um, another team was we're going to go for four hours and sleep for 15 or 20 minutes at a time we tried that on a training adventure in uh, the ruby mountains a double outback uh, an outback on the ruby mountain ruby crest trail and that just didn't really work out very well uh, you didn't necessarily sleep when you were tired and you couldn't force it as Bob knows you can't just force yourself to sleep when uh when it's your time to sleep. So we realized that wasn't going to work for us. Oh, that was, yeah, that's the rubies. Yeah, a little hard to see, but that's in the rubies. And one thing you need to know about Craig is, is that when you hit around 3 a.m., he needs to sleep. It doesn't matter. Anything, nothing else matters. He needs to sleep, and, and the sun's coming up, so he's sleeping right as the sun comes up. This is a common uh, picture throughout Europe as well. I have a lot of pictures of him laying down sleeping. But, um, you know, this is where we tried every 30 minutes. And I think, you know, we had done the 30 minutes thing, and this one was, you know, not a scheduled one. It was just a, I need to sleep. I can't move anymore. Yeah, sleep was, like, the number one problem for for us, I think, in Europe. I think it would be great if Joe talked more about sleep. Oh, yeah. 
Hang on, Zoom. We're gonna let you see what we're talking about here. So, you, so oh. your sleep strategy sounds like it was. Uh, uh, it was terrible. I'd, I'd like it, it just. I'd, I'd oh, you like, got to share the screen. He's gonna share the screen with the Zoom people, but you can keep on talking. Got it. I, I was just thinking it'd be great if Joe could talk more about how much he slept during PTO. So, um, because of my mountaineering experience um, in the '90s, where I I'd done had done some expeditions that were you know, five, six, seven weeks long and spend a lot of time at high altitude. And, and you know, when you're above, uh, at least for me, when I'm at, you know, 17 or 18,000 feet, I just can't sleep. And, and so I got used to being able to um, just rest and be okay with that, right? If you, you, you get really frustrated if you need to sleep, but you can't sleep. But if you say, I'm just going to rest and you just kind of rest, um, that's what I do. So um, I didn't really sleep until after PTL, but I had, you know, rest periods, a lot of rest periods. The, the only time I got to wake Joe up was when we bailed at uh, the refugio in, in Italy. Um, he slept in a dorm bed, and he was about to miss breakfast, and I got to wake him up. That was the only time. That was, that was the fourth morning? Fifth morning. Fifth morning. So there were there were refugios out there that their organization had contracted with, and you could get meals at those. There were four four meal tickets that we that we had with us that we could cash in, and those that had uh, contracted with the race were, were good. Those that didn't, um, maybe it's because we were near the end, but we went to several of them. And they said they were completely out of food. They were, they were out of everything. Are you picking on us because we're not speaking your language? I, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but um, we were we were moving um, fairly slow. And I think we probably had a refugio one per day that was was arranged prearranged with the race. And the first one. Lacantamine, if you've been to UTMB, Lacantamine is one of the first aid stations that you get to see the fast runners. I mean, it was just the worst food that you could imagine. I, I couldn't believe it. it was it was the worst pasta in France with like dog food, canned dog food opened up. I'm like, this is what we're going to have after we went 31 miles and have 15,000 feet of climb. It was it was so disheartening. And as we as we go to these other refugios. That didn't uh, that weren't contracted. There was one um, Robert Blanc on the second day, yep. which I assume Robert Blanc is some famous guy because Mount Blanc is the same name. So I didn't know who he was, but probably a famous guy. And we saw a couple other PTL teams out there. They had picnic tables. It was beautiful, and uh, th- there were t- there were plates, empty plates, and cappuccino cups. <laughs> And we go to order, and I, I looked at the menu. They had omelets. I, oh, my God, this is day two. We've probably gone 50 miles or something. And 25,000 feet of climb. And they end up telling us, we have no more food. Like, <gasps> what? are you kidding me? I mean, it was just crushing. It was absolutely crushing, right? Because we're tired of eating this stuff that we brought. That I don't want any more payday bars. Uh, because I'm tired of the stuff that we had in our in our packs, so we got a little bit behind calorie wise, and in, uh, in the nights two and three, we got to the the aid stations where there was a cutoff, and we were too close to sleep at the aid station. So, just like some people do at Western States or other hundred miles, you. you get your stuff at the aid station and you get the hell out of the aid station you get your out time so you, you're not, and then you try to get your stuff together afterwards so we would leave the aid station and then a half mile later we'd bivy in our bivy sacks instead of in the refugio where there was a bed or a cot and warmth and they were, it was it was it would put us behind the eight ball every day because especially the last day we we slept for two hours and 15 minutes i think a half mile out of the aid station and uh, in a vineyard, which was pretty fun. That's uh, Craig reacting to the meal. Uh, yeah, that, meal, <laughs> that was dog food on the worst possible you can imagine. The, some of the food was great. The lasagna was great, mm-hmm. and uh, the polenta was great. Uh, so did you bring enough uh, stuff with you that you, 
this was just extra or, or was that was that part of the plan to eat that was part of like 20 percent of your plan or to eat at these places so you had drop bags uh, that they delivered to two different places and it would have been nice to have a crew uh, very similar to run 100 mile hour except we're very sleep deprived when we'd get to these places where the bags were you know you're trying to do all your lights and recharge your phones and re recharge everything and without crew it was and they in Europe they don't they don't uh, have the same kind of um, service at aid stations like we do here where you've got these people like I'm your volunteer through the whole aid station I'm going to take care of you it's just you just take care of yourself so it it was really hard to do all that maybe I'm just I'm well, your brain, your brain's dead, right? Life. So your your brain's dead. You can't think. You're tired. You're you're you're, you're literally sleep deprived and nutrition deprived. So you can't really yeah. put pull it together to try to like fix your feet. I'm probably fix just your a clothes. Whim too, but <laughs> I'm used to being spoiled. And, like, I'm used to our stuff, so that was kind of hard. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was hard to come into um, a checkpoint and have to remember to do things and we literally forgot you know the first part of the uh, course you needed to have micro spikes you needed to have a helmet you needed to have your um, Viferata. yeah via ferrata and a climbing harness and the second part of the course you could drop off the via ferrata and the climbing harness and the via ferrata was really heavy what is that it's basically just uh, some carabiners and some lanyards that allow okay. you to hook into whatever protection is on the mm -hmm. course so you don't fall. And um, it's heavy, and so it would have been great to drop it off, but they didn't remind us that we could drop it off, and we couldn't remember, and so we just continued carrying it. Oh, no. And, yeah, and, and the food, yeah. We just, I think the idea is we thought we would be able to buy food at a refugio to kind of re- um, give us you know additional calories along the way and you just you couldn't and so they at the checkpoints they would have little snicker bars you know the halloween size you know so you could put you know 10 or 15 in your pack if you wanted um and then other things that you couldn't recognize but yeah it just we were burning fat out there we just weren't fueled and and that certainly impacted our ability to make progress we know, and I know, well, I know anyway, just looking at some of your Strava uh, training logs and such, I mean, you put the work in for this thing, right? Like, did you feel you were at your top, like, fitness level of any recent years or going in? I think we were, I'll speak for myself, I was fine in terms of fitness. I, I think it was the sleep yeah. and the, the lack of sleep and the lack of fuel. But just want to be clear that these two guys went a couple days longer than I did. So, instead, well, I, I, I bailed out back to back to my my body being fine. I was fine, but I couldn't wrap my brain around not eating and not sleeping for a couple more days, and so I bailed thirty something hours in. Yeah, I was done. I was mentally done. How was that decision like with the team? Like, how did you all approach that? Did you have con did you have contingency plans prior, thinking about potentials like that, or was that something you had to deal with on the fly? We knew that you could start with a team of three. I think that's me, not Matt, right? That's that's uh, you, and this is right before right Matt, before Matt decided. decided to so we tell us. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. While well, well, Craig, yeah. well, Craig was doing his impression of whatever that is. There's so many things. Family, right? Family show? <laughs> you know. <laughs> what did you guys do to me while I was sleeping? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Are you revealing <laughs> something now? Nope. We, did, we did uh, not touch Well, and, I mean, just you speaking about sleep, being sleep deprived and having no nutrition, it's a dangerous course. And you're clipping in, and you're, there's glaciers or glaciers, as they say there, and your nice. tampons is dark and it's snowy. Things are just going to get worse. If you can't get your head around your own safety, you're in, you're doomed. In fact, there was a, a maybe you can tell a story, there was a, a, someone lost their life this year at the, at the course, like right off the bat. Yeah, on the first night, uh, somewhere around 50 kilometers, maybe? No. Oh, yeah, a little short of that. Um, I was in my own little misery tunnel, not, not sleep, it was 
I got dehydrated that day and I was puking and uh, that was the first night. So I don't even remember the terrain where this, where this accident happened, but um, it was fairly technical and um, it was a team of two from Brazil and the, wow. and the man died. It's right after this, before the ladders. It was before the ladders. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, so it was near. It was before the ladders. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! I thought it was later than that. I thought it was later than that. But yeah, I thought it was right before the ladders. Um, so, yeah, we found out about it. That I think we found out about it because we we had an app that you're supposed to carry in addition to the to the GPS unit that I had to carry. I had it right next to my ear so that was it this one first. So so that whenever they contacted us, that you had to answer it, even if you were asleep, you'd hear it. And I think we were told that there was a death. But then we also saw a Twitter a tweet. We saw a tweet from Iron Farr. Um, yeah. Matt's going to talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. I was puking and cramping and stuff. <laughs> he but. doesn't remember. He was puking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was. <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good first day. <laughs> so so my, my memory is that we, day two, we were climbing up to Cold End Club. And that... That thing went off. Yep. We pulled it off and looked at it, read it on the tiny little scratch screen, and it, it said something along the lines of, the race goes on, the competition continues. Yep. That was it. And, like, what is that? What does that mean? So I pulled out my phone, and one of the weird things, unlike our training in the Rubies or in Desolation Wilderness or in Tahoe area, there's cell signal on the well over half the course at least there's multiple signal so I pulled my phone out and I started searching on Twitter and I found an Iron Far article referencing that like, but that was our notification from the race organization was the race goes on the competition continues but, but when it happened uh, the night before you guys saw we the did. lights uh, we did I didn't see any of that because I was just in my own Misery. We we were so so there was a there was a big there was a big nasty climb through some pretty technical terrain. The most technical terrain I saw. You guys saw some other stuff, but uh, mm-hmm. and and initially we were Joe and I were putting Craig in front because he was in some discomfort. I think he would say discomfort is what he would say. Um, we were trying to get him to set the pace, but as the terrain got more technical and the route finding got more difficult, that didn't. And so I went out front. Joe was behind him on the climb. And we're looking at like headlight, headlamps ahead of us. We finally get to this high point, this refugio, where we got some vegetable soup and a brownie the size of a nickel. And, <laughs> uh, and descended. Why are we laughing? Um, <laughs> and coffee. Didn't we have oh, coffee, too? No, we had coffee. I think you we had coffee. Oh, that's yeah. right. Coffee. You traded yeah, a meal right. ticket for your coffee. I, I Maybe, yeah. Yeah, you traded a meal yeah. ticket for your coffee. Uh, so we're descending. And at this point, Joe and I were both out front and then waiting for, while we're waiting for Craig, we turn around and look and we see a couple lights still ascending and we saw one light by itself. Yeah. And I said something about how that, that light was still, that, that team was still behind and Joe said, it's not a team, there's only one light and they're not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And that was puzzling, but when we, when we found out the next day what had happened, so you think you saw you saw the team? We think we saw probably the woman who survived. Wow. We saw one headlight. I'll say it. we saw one one headlight and it wasn't moving. Yep. And what you remember, Joe? Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the organization met us at the cold day on Clay, where where Matt decided he didn't want to do this anymore. He'd rather be with our two wives who were in two wives. <laughs> Our, our two wives who were drinking, <laughs> drinking wine and in the bathrobes. True story. Uh, true story, yeah. Uh, As they should. And yeah. so they, they, they met should. us there. That's and why you should go to France. <laughs> this was the first death in PTL. But the year before, there was a death at TDS, which is their the race closest to 100 miles. I don't know what it is now, 84 miles now? Used to be 74, 84 84 miles now. Uh, there was a death last year, which was the first death at any of the UTMB races. And they have 10,000 people a year. So there's there's a lot of numbers, a lot of possibilities of, of accidents happening. Um, 
And last year at TDS, they stopped the event for everybody who was behind the accident because that helicopter come down. Um, and they were probably thinking about, um, I can't, I, being a race director, I, I, I could empathize with, oh, my God, how do, how do you deal with this? Um, but they met us at Coldale Clay, which was at, how many miles was that? You know exactly how far it was. Because it's where you stopped. Um, and they, they told us about it, and they said, it's your choice if you want to continue on or not. No teams decided to stop. But they did tell us a little more. Or maybe, maybe we heard from other uh, officials from PTL that, that the partner was so distraught, probably the light that they saw, the partner was so distraught that she didn't call for help. It was another PTL team that called for help. And the helicopter flew that night. Um, it was behind us we were really close to it it was behind us but it was it was a while before we got the two of us got back into cell range and there were articles you guys probably read the articles um but the talk kind of just stopped and i was a little surprised and someone dies at a race and it's not talked about anymore like and i tweeted out something i hope we haven't reached a point in our in our sport where death at races is just common that we don't even think about it, but it kind of felt like that to me afterwards. And maybe it's because it was four days later that, um, I just missed all the communication, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't hard. It, it didn't weigh on us while we were out there, but after the fact it was, it was pretty surreal and, and, and it just felt really weird mm. and not, and not good and not, not right. I know, Joe. Why don't you tell us what you what? Yeah, it was it was just weird how they announced it and how they communicated it. And, but I think that um, you know we just didn't have all the information, so it was really hard to process. But you know, I think as many teams did, they you know they just moved forward and tried to complete the event. Yeah, it never made us think, wow, we're doing some crazy training. We were on the same kind of train that we trained on all the time. Yeah, you could die at any, any point. I mean, pretty much every weekend we could die if we fell in the wrong spot. Sure. But to have someone die during an event that you're, uh, that you're participating in. Yeah, that you're still in. Pretty well. That we're still in. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Not, 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 not. So, not so changing gears, you know, on thinking about the race and you know, and the, the hazards and the skill sets. And if someone was after this thinking about it, which may probably not anymore, <laughs> if they, if they were, if they, if, they, if they were thinking about what are the skills you must have in advance? Like you're not going to get these in two years, uh, something that you're not going to get, or is it, are these old things that could be acquired in two or three years of prep? Or if you don't know by now, you're not, you're not going to have enough. What are the kind of the skills Maybe Joe would be, you know, mountaineering. But if you don't have mountaineering skills, is it yeah. a no a no go? I, I would say, um, you know, navigation and a sense of you know being on your own and being able to figure out where you need to be and need to go. Self sufficiency. That's probably the biggest thing. I think the mountain experience is, you know, it gets cold. You've got layers. You know, want to get wet. You put it on things when you need to and take them off when you need to. Um, I think. All that stuff is, you know, experience based on going up into the mountains. Not so much running, uh, but I think, you know, spending lots of times, uh, lots of times out in the wilderness alone. Mountain passes, you know, where, you know, no one likes loose rock, but you're going to have loose rock. And, you know, no one likes a whole bunch of exposure and not having protection, but you're going to have that. And so you need to be comfortable in the wilderness. I think that's the, the biggest thing. Seven peaks. The Seven Peaks and Desolation Wilderness, I think, was probably a, a, a pretty a good mm -hmm. slice of PTL in terms of terrain and what, what we could see in terms of on-trail, off-trail, scrambling. Yeah. Right? If you can get through that loop, from a technical perspective, I don't think we did anything more treacherous than that. Yeah, so what Matt's talking about is the Aloha Rim... Circumnavigation, where you climb seven peaks uh, in desolation, and it, there's off-trail stuff and, and scrambling, and there's no um, equipment pounded into the rocks. There's no, um, there's no, uh, 
I mean, there's so in Europe the mountains are just littered with yeah. steel that yeah. it looks like people just got it out of their garage, whatever they had, and they pounded it in. They like, go, oh, we need something here. Um, it's there's none of that in desolation in our wilderness areas. We don't have that same kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, that's probably the closest terrain um, comparison. So, so I've gone up there. I know you guys have done that. I've got two peaks, and it's taken me several years. It's challenging. If you're not used to that kind of down climbing and, and it, that kind of, you know, it's a different experience. Uh, and some of those, you'd be fine for half a day when something comes to something that you just, you're like, I, I can't get through this by myself. You know, so it's definitely some skill. But it's a good thing to know we can go up there and practice up there and maybe in a few years get enough skills to, Put something together. Yeah, and then make sure you can uh, evaluate when you should not be yep. making a move out there, right? Mm-hmm. When, yep. um, I think that's probably the more important. <laughs> if you can do it when you're fresh, that's one thing. But if you're in a sleep-deprived state or you're fatigued, which we have to deal with all the time in uh, in our training or our rock climbing, um, you know, you got to know. Okay, I can't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do this move right now. I'm not gonna do this. That's probably. Uh, Probably the most important thing is know know your own, know your limits and your body. And that, that I'm good at know. stopping. Yeah, <laughs> well, you, you you need to. You need to. Have we lost the zoom? Did we lose? Okay. No, no oh. um, I just oh. wanted. We just reached over seven hundred dollars to donate. Oh. oh. Um, so I just wanted to um, thank Angela. She just pushed us over, and then for our live audience, if you have any cash, we will take it today. Our Venmo um, at the Mile Ninety Nine interview. We match uh, two hundred and fifty dollars today, so we're over seven hundred. Keep it coming, guys! Thank you so much. That's amazing. Yeah, so uh, it's great the uh, people helping out all the animals and yeah, yeah, we're just so lucky. Like this community just gives endlessly. Um, thank you guys so much. Yeah, I just wanted to ask one more question, which was, what are your plans next for the rusty nails? Are you going to go back or are you going to do something else? <laughs> Matt? <laughs> I was just going to take off my rusty nails. Nobody wants to see that. Oh, I, well, I, she probably does. <laughs> no, she didn't want to see that. Uh, yeah, I'm not going back to PTO. <laughs> <laughs> Joe? Yeah, I would love to go back and do PTO again. So they're um, looking for a third. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that, you know, we have a lot of... Uh, lessons learned and i think we would do things differently and we didn't really talk a little bit or much about it but the sleep deprivation is another big thing that you really have to figure out and there were hallucinations uh he hallucinated i hallucinated and it became pretty normal uh during the course of the event that's interesting are you a, a sound hallucinator or a visual hallucinator oh visual yeah mm-hmm. i'm a sound hallucinator i, I hear all kinds of stuff yeah. i've never seen anything that's Interesting. Yeah. PTO? I don't know. <laughs> let, me get, let me get the Aloha Loop done first and I'll talk to you. But you're going to do, you hope to do UTMB next year. I do, yeah. So not PTO next year, but hopefully so UTMB. Maybe we'll come back in, uh, when we're 60 years old. <laughs> so uh, that's amazing. There's yeah. so much stuff, so many cool things to think about this. Uh, get your head around all the different things that you, you guys are. You have skills, but the whole sleep deprivation, the sleep plan. You go out there once, and you you may have to go back and attack it a few times to really understand. And and it's not you can't. I mean, it's a different environment, high elevation, like Joe was saying. You know, you just can't sleep above a certain elevation range. It's it's pretty interesting. Yeah, that was mainly the Himalayas, but yeah. you're you're not above ten thousand feet. Yeah, okay. So it's just, I was able to sleep everywhere. Yeah, he can sleep. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> but. So do we have any uh, questions out there in our audience out here? Hold on, Jessica. Um, I have one question. How did you guys get the name The Rusty Nails? We are drinking Rusty Nail right now. What is a Rusty Nail? I have no idea. Uh, father-in-law introduced me, Lori's dad, obviously, uh, Jim. Uh, he introduced me. He liked They were from Hawaii, even though he was Howie. Okay. He would love to show me like sashimi and then all the weird stuff that they would eat there. And but the one awesome thing he taught me about was um, yeah, if you haven't had sashimi straight out of a Safeway, uh, 
were. You just don't eat that kind of fish raw in, on the mainland, but you do in Hawaii. But he told me about rusty nails. It was, it was a drink, a pretty simple drink. It's made with trambouille and scotch whiskey, 50-50, and a, and a lemon zest, which we found in, in France. We, we had a couple other possible team names, too. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I think Joe, Joe picked the rusty nails because he wanted to avoid team 17 silvers. <laughs> Yeah, which I was not. Did you guys have heard. any rusty nails during PTL? During it? No. No alcohol during, no, no way. We had as many rusty nails as Joe had hours of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> or silver buckles. Or silver buckles. Joe is by far the fittest of the three yeah. of us. <laughs> we, we all know that, so this is our chance to... Joe is the strongest man. So By far. <laughs> he's the king now. He'd still like be walking that. around he's that He's the king now, huh? He's not the old nail or uh, the weak nail. He's the strong man. <laughs> <laughs> he's the strong nail, yeah. So we took the name because uh, we like the drink. And um, Casey Lichtite, hopefully she's watching right now, she sent us these shirts. Yeah. She sent us these shirts, and uh, Joe had the hats made. And, and when... Uh, when we got back, I, I know a lot of the people in, in the UTMB organization, so um, this wasn't surprising. But when we when we got back into Chamonix, we were with a couple of the people from the organization, and and one of the persons who I hadn't met had been in the in the headquarters of PTL the night before, mm -hmm. and when he found out, oh, you guys are the Rusty Nails. He knew all about the Rusty Nails. Like, oh, well. <laughs> by the way. No American teams finished PTL this year. This year. Yeah. All of them dropped. We just got another donation, so thank you, Kathy. Um, hopefully we can get to almost, we're very close to $800 now. So bring it in, guys. $800 will wrap up the night, I think. That'd be an awesome donation. Yeah. We'll take donations uh, tomorrow until 7 a.m. So we'll take them online or straight through the SPCA. It would be great. Q&A. Oh, Q &A. yes. Okay. Um, so, Craig, you're not a part of this because we've okay. done it so many I, times. But Joe and Matt, we, at the end of our show, to wrap up, to get to know you guys a little bit better, we are going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. Okay? Rapid-fire, rapid you got to tell me the first thing you think of. So, I'll ask Matt first. Mm. Trail or road? Trail. Joe? Trail. Um, favorite post-race meal? Yes. Stop it. <laughs> Give me an answer now. Stop it. Mexican food. What kind? Uh, I need a, details. A giant burrito. Okay. Yeah, burrito. How cute! A little twenty moment. Cute. No, no. Joe and I've gotten pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, Craig. You know, I was sleeping through it. I don't know what. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't think I mean, Craig knew we've about it. We've been close. <laughs> Uh, bucket list race, Matt. No. Stop it. <laughs> okay. Uh, bucket list adventure. What? Oh, a, yeah. Yeah. So, tell me so, about it. So after PTL, uh, the missus and I spent a week in Italy, and uh, let's just do that again. Yeah. Yeah. We uh, on the coast in Liguria, and Italy. Perfect. Yeah. I'm not half done. Uh, half. The regular northwest phase of half done in a day would be great as well. I love that, Joe. What about you? Bucket list race or adventure? Yeah, it, it, that's tough. It, bucket list is kind of like, you know, you do it and then there's something else that pops up. So next thing I'd like to do is UTMB. Perfect. You have all your stones. I have my stones. And then our last question that ties up the entire event and where we are, Matt, cats or dogs? Uh, but 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 being around the Thornley House, cats have grown on me in the last few mm. years. I'll say that. But dogs, dogs. yeah, cats, cats. Oh, okay. We weren't yeah, sure yeah. because we oh. heard about your daughter's cat. We weren't sure if that was like your cat. That is my cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now we know. Now we know. Awesome. Thank you guys. Thanks, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for. Uh, 
given us a little peek into the experience. It's not something a lot of people have done. Uh, it's really great that we have you in the community here to talk about these types of things and the amazing pictures that we saw. Thanks, everybody, for all the generosity donating to the SPCA. It's fantastic. This is an unqualified success. You know, I know they're going to appreciate it. All the animals uh, that are going to be helped by the SPCA means a lot. Uh, so thank you all so much. Thanks so much to the aid station. Thank you, Krista. I appreciate you all hosting us here. Paulo, it, it's just uh, great to partner with everybody to bring you, you know, this type of live experience. Uh, so we can't say enough. Everybody that donates, uh, Venmo, uh, Patreon members and all that, we super appreciate you. As I said, you can find us on all the different social media platforms at the Mile 99 interview. Once again, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Joe, for uh, just bringing us into a little bit of this. Thank you. As I said before we started, I, I was your first guest, as you guys have said many times. I was right in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I made it was a little late in the June. pandemic. Yeah, we started a little couple And months ago. it was fun, and I, I thought the idea was incredible, but I really didn't think it would last. And, Thank and you. two and a half. No, I didn't. I thought. Thank <laughs> you. No, we, well, it was a Zoom thing, right? It was supposed to take place of meeting in person. Yeah. And it seemed like it was going to expire, and we weren't going to be doing this. And the fact that you guys are still doing this two and a half years later and you're this successful is awesome. And, and thank you for what you do for the community. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks. And thank you all for showing up tonight. We really appreciate that. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. So next week, uh, we have another show coming up. And is Taylor here? He was before. I think he ran. Um, and uh, so Taylor Edwards, friend of the show, he just went on an epic bikepacking adventure to Alaska, a very meaningful one. And we're going to talk to him about that. And we hope you'll join us on Zoom next week for that. Thank you all so much. Have a great night. And we'll see you on the trail. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.